Good morning. Sometimes I sit and listen and sense and pray, God, what are you doing? We plan and the musicians rehearse and I prepare. But at the same time, we always want to make space for God to step in, to change shape, to speak in a different direction. We, we never want what we've planned to restrict what God might want to do. In the same way, we never want to be so loose that we haven't prepared or planned or prayed or studied. We, we want to balance the two. This morning, there seems to be a sense that God wants to speak to people who are struggling, or that for some people, they may have switched off or drifted away, and God wants to bring them back. And then for others... I believe that there is, a, there is a, a moment where there's that wake up, but there's also that, I want to be energized. I don't want to just exist. Some mornings you may wake up and you feel like, what day is it? What are we doing? I believe that God wants to fill us in such a way that we aren't waiting for a future event, but that this powerful God who is present is here in the here and in the now. And in the everyday and in the ordinary. So may I encourage you to be open to God stepping into whatever circumstances you find yourself in now. I'm speaking to the room and I'm speaking directly at the camera lens and saying, may you know God in your now, in this moment. This is week four of this mini-series looking at this letter tucked away towards the end of the New Testament written by the disciple John. It's this letter where he's writing as an older person, giving advice and recommending, do this, don't do this, and remember this. It's almost these final words, and there's these reoccurring themes that we're going to get to. I've got the passage of 1 John verse 4. And last week Paul spoke, the week before I spoke on 1 John verse 2. Verse 4 sounds like verse 2. There are some reoccurring themes that keep coming up. Now, if you notice that, well done. There's a reason. If you didn't notice it because you didn't listen two weeks ago, that's good. This is going to be fresh. Sometimes we see a repeated pattern, and there's a reason for this. Often it's because this is a really important message. And if you didn't hear it before, I want you to hear it today. Or if you did hear it again, I want you to catch it again because this is the most important thing you need to hear. And we're going to see that in this passage as it unfolds. Before we start, let me begin with a game. A game that kind of fits this passage. Have you ever played the game where, where someone tells you two things that are true and one thing that isn't true, and you have to guess the thing that isn't true? We're going to do this, and you'll see why. And we'll do it in the room, and we'll do it uh, online as well. I've not planned the online element. Let's try this. So if you're watching online or you're on Facebook, I want you to... Play along, and if you can, in the comments, the answer will be either A, B, or C. So I'm going to be personal here. So I'm going to tell you some things. One of these is not true. The first one is this number A, or letter A. I have ridden on the highest roller coaster in the world. Option B, my favorite film is Star Wars. Or option C, I once slept on a park bench in Germany. Okay, so I'm going to say this in the room, and if you're watching online, you want to answer, you can write A, B, or C. Who thinks that, and you've got to pick the one that isn't true. So show of hands, or typing A, I've been on the highest roller coaster in the world. If you believe this is a lie, put your hand up now. 
You believe this is a lie. You believe I haven't been on the highest roller coaster in the world. Okay, hands down. B, my favorite film is Star Wars. Who believes this is a lie? Okay. Some, not many. Hands down. Option C, and again, if you're watching online on Facebook, type along. Option C, I once slept on a park bench in Germany. Well, there's not many of you. Most of you genuinely believe that I look like someone who would sleep on a park bench. <laughs> okay. You are all correct. I have slept on a park bench in Germany. Right, to go, to go through those. The first one, many of you doubted this. I've been on the highest roller coaster in the world. It was very high. I was younger than I am now, uh, but I believe I'd do it again. I have slept on a park bench in Germany. I attended a conference in 2001. I was 21 years old, and we stayed up all night, and we're in this park, and I got tired, and I fell asleep on a bench, and I thought, my goodness, I've slept on a park bench. It's true. I have never seen Star Wars. For some, it's like, oh, no, and I like this guy. I'm now going to get invites to watch Star Wars with you. The reason I introduce this passage with this analogy with this game is because not everything we hear is true. Not everything that is said in the most compelling of ways is factually accurate. And that's been heightened and highlighted so much in recent times that we have this challenge of where do we land and what do we choose and how do we find wisdom in the noise, in the chaos, where every persuasion, every argument, every news station has got an opinion and a statement. And that's before we even get into the world of social media. How do we find what is true? I'm talking about wisdom. And the good news is God says If you ask me, I can give you wisdom. I can give you understanding. In a world that is full of fog, I can give you clarity. God says that in the Old Testament. And then we see Jesus who steps into the darkness and introduces himself as the light. He says, I am the light in the darkness. And where there is light, there can be no more darkness. So in a world of darkness and fog... And many statements of which we have to continually play the game of which one is simply not true. Jesus gives us light and God gives us wisdom. And we're going to find that in this passage. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 John verse 4. And I will read it to you. I'm going to explore this letter as one passage that's got various elements in it. I said a few weeks ago, very rarely does all of it speak to us. Often there's, there's one or two pieces that are just what we need to hear. So to use the letter analogy, I've got letter A and letter B and letter C. And I'm going to read the passage all the way through from beginning to end and then I'm going to break it down roughly into one letter A and this is talking about this and this letter B is talking about this and and this letter C is talking about this and for some of you there's one of those that's just what you need to hear that speaks 
so accurately into your setting. For others, it may be you're taking more. That's fine. I'm going to read it all the way through once. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them. And they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Okay. There's a lot going on. There's a lot there. There's some reoccurring themes. Let's explore them together. So, letter A, or this first section, roughly from verse 1 to verse 6. Do not believe everything you hear. 
There was this word antichrist that appeared two chapters ago and it appears again. Antichrist isn't an obvious person that looks like a demonic figure, but is the spirit that doesn't honor Jesus, doesn't point to Jesus, doesn't sound, smell like Jesus, but points in a different direction. And we see that and we sense that. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's subtle, but it's very much prevalent in society. There is this reoccurring assertion that Jesus is the key to all of this. God in person made complete in Jesus. And then there is this incredible idea that what is in you, because God is in you, is greater than what is not in you. Who that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Let's unpack this. The opening statement, don't believe everything you hear. I'm continually learning that listening well is a great asset, especially amongst so many voices that are making so many contradictory statements. It's a great place to begin to listen. When it talks about the prophets that have gone into the world in the spirit of Antichrist, the gift of prophecy, which is a gift that is available for all people that know and love Jesus, is the ability to hear what God is saying and then to speak and to say what God is saying. Where we sense and we know God's voice and he speaks to his children. And we say that. This passage begins that some people have been inaccurately prophesying in the name of God and they've been saying whatever someone else wants to hear. They've been tickling people's ears and they've not been truly representing the voice of God. But this is not just about the prophets, some who were right and some who were wrong. This isn't about how do we expose the wrong prophets. It's what is the Spirit saying? What is God saying in this? And what can we give attention to? Now, may I make this comment? Do not be tempted to see this passage or even the recent period of time as an incentive to pursue some people who were wrong and to shame them and name them and call them out. God is a better judge than you and I. And there will be a time where all will have to explain their motive, their actions and their words before God. This is not an incentive for us to, to, to give our time and our energy into looking for the wrong in others. Many people have looked at the spirit of Antichrist and looked at kings and queens and presidents and prime ministers and said it's them. This is not necessarily the purpose of this. What we're being told to do is to listen. What is the spirit saying and where is it pointing? So how do we know where it's pointing? How do we know what's going on? How do we know the objectives around us from what's false and what's accurate? I've got a visual prop as an idea. I bought this this week. My kids looked and said, what on earth is that? So for anyone that's ever worked in construction or in the building trade, you'll know what this is. This is known as a plumb line. If you've ever built a fence or a shed or hung a door, you may have used one of these. It's a heavy weight on one end and there's a long piece of string with a hook and you could go next to a wall and you could hang the plumb line on it and then you could look to see if it's hanging straight. And if the line like this is hanging and it's entirely all on the edge of this speaker, if this was a wall, then it's leaning this way. 
But if it was hanging like this table, and I'm hanging this directly straight, but it's tilting, it's tilting in slightly, it's telling me that something's not straight, something's off course. Now sometimes you can look at an edge, you may sit in your seat and look at the edge of the speaker and go, well, it looks pretty straight from here, and it does. But when you put the plumb line next to it, you realize it's not entirely straight, it, 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 it's, something's off. Sometimes it's subtle, and sometimes it's obvious. And when something is obviously off, it's easy to spot. When something is only just off, it's harder to spot. For me, the plumb line represents Jesus, the person of Jesus, the message of Jesus, and the mission of Jesus. So for me, I like to use that analogy or this idea when I'm listening to something. and say, does this align with Jesus? Does this sound like Jesus? Does this point to Jesus? Again, there's sometimes, very obvious, I don't even need to get the plumb line out. I can tell you that wall's not straight. There's other times when it kind of sounds like it could be Jesus. I want to encourage you to use this analogy in all ways, in the pursuit of wisdom, where everything introduces itself as wisdom. Does it point to Jesus? Does it sound like Jesus? Does it conflict with Jesus? This is a plumb line that we can use and we need to use. So some application for this first chapter, this, this letter A envelope. Seek wise counsel. When you don't know the answer, seek wise counsel and listen. Listen to a variety of sources. Don't criticize people. Don't give of yourself and your energy to mainly just highlighting the faults in others. Sadly, we've seen so much of this recently. To stray into the political arena, we've seen people who only said bad of the outgoing president and other people who are only saying bad of the incoming president barely a few days into office. Pray for leaders. Pray for all people. Pray with integrity and sincerity. Pray for the people that you voted for. Pray for the people that you didn't vote for. And... Ultimately, does our message, does our means, does our choice, does it sound like Jesus? Does it look like Jesus? And does it point to Jesus? Use that plumb line. Second element. Verse 7 to 13. There's this word that comes up over and over and over again. Sometimes I say something And then I say it again in a slightly different way. And then I say it again in a slightly different way. And then I say it again with an analogy or something else. But largely, I'm saying the same thing. And sometimes I get told that I do this. And if you've read the passage that we've just read, it feels like, okay, I hear you. I hear you. What is it? Apparently, it makes the world go round. The Beatles sung about it. All you need is, it just keeps coming up again and again and again and again. Why does it keep coming up? One of the reasons it keeps coming up is because the world is so in need of love. And in a world that's 
full of brokenness and hurt and despair and confusion. That's why we love these songs. That's why we say that the world is going around because of it. When it isn't really, it's because of God's smile over creation is why the world's going around. But this idea of love, it's not easy. And I want to make a comment. The reason it keeps coming up and time and time and again is because it doesn't happen by accident. I'm not talking about the romantic love that's easy at first, this instant that just explodes like a fountain. I'm talking about intentional love. And I use the word intentional because you have to choose to love. Sometimes it's easy to choose to hate. And I want to talk about the idea that actually to be truly effective in something, we have to be intentional. It isn't enough just to choose to not do the alternative. You can't say, today I'm going to try not to hate people. It's better to say, today I'm going to try to love people. What we're talking about here is a replacement technique, a replacement idea. Let me give you an example. If you feel that you drink too much coffee and you wake up at six and have a coffee and then on the hour, every hour, you have another coffee and then by 12 o'clock midday, you've had six coffees. If you think, wait a minute, I'm drinking too much coffee. The mistake that people make is they say, okay, I am going to choose not to drink so much coffee. It's easier if you replace it. If you say, okay, I'm going to have my coffee when I wake up in the morning, and then on alternate hours when I would have had coffee, I'm going to have a glass of water instead. And next to the coffee pot, I'm going to put water as a stimulus, as a prompt to remind me. You're choosing an alternative. And by choosing the alternative, you're more likely to succeed. It's not enough to say, I'm going to choose not to hate. You have to choose an alternative. Another analogy is you might find yourself speaking ill of people quite often. And you probably know you shouldn't do that. So at the point where you begin the sentence where you're about to speak bad about somebody, intentionally choose to speak good about them instead. Highlight something that's good about them. It may be only one thing. There may be many things that are not good. Highlight the one that's good. This word that keeps coming up time and time again is a reminder. Choose it. Be intentional about it. Replace other, other elements of your conduct and your words. It's needed. We celebrated this week Martin Luther King Jr. And there were many inspirational quotes that he said. On the subject of love, he said this, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. It's not enough to say, I'm just going to choose not to hate. And Martin Luther King Jr. knew this. He said, we need to choose an alternative path, a better path, a better way. And it's a way that looks and sounds and smells like love. There's this incredible passage, tiny sentence that says this. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another and God lives in us, his love is made complete. Let me say it like this. No one's ever seen God. But if they've seen you, they may have seen God. That's a powerful idea. 
I am hesitant to walk into a room and introduce myself as God. I don't think I could do that. But the idea that what we're saying and what we're seeing here is if we live in tune with God, the spirit of God that honors Jesus, proclaims Jesus, and that people feel love, they see the complete love of God in us. Wow. That's, that's a different idea. We have the potential to show people God and we have the potential to misrepresent God. I'll tell you a true story. This week, I went to meet with a friend who I used to play pool with. I used to be in a pool league, and the pool leagues aren't happening at the moment. Some of them are, but I'm not playing in them. And I went to see this guy, and I arrived at this pool hall, wearing a mask, all clean, nine-foot table between us, social distancing. And I went to see this guy, and he wasn't there. I was annoyed. My day had been quite busy already, and he wasn't there. And I messaged him, and he said, I'm running late. I'm running some errands. I'll be there. And, and I went from being slightly annoyed to thinking, I wonder if God's got a different plan. I said at the beginning that I want to be planned and have a program and the songs are rehearsed, but we want to be open to God stepping into the spontaneous. And in that moment, I had this realization that maybe God has a different plan. There were a couple of guys over in a different corner and I felt to go and speak to them. So I did. I'm wearing a mask there, wearing a mask, which makes it socially awkward, but not impossible. And I said hello, and I had a conversation, said who I was, why I moved here, and, and what I do in church. And it was quite an easy connection. And there was one person especially who started to tell me some of his story, told me that he grew up in church and he hasn't been for a while, and his brother goes and, and he isn't. And as he was saying this, I had this, oh, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm having this conversation. I spoke to this person and I had the opportunity to say that God loves you and that you're still a son. And in this pool hall, I prayed with him right there and then. So often we say, oh, I pray for you. And what we mean is later on after the date or maybe when we go to sleep, we'll, we'll remember them if we, if we remember them. Well, in that moment, I stopped and I prayed for this person in the pool hall. Did this on Thursday this week. And it, I didn't feel anything. There wasn't a sense of Pentecost moment of, oh my goodness. But, but he felt something. And he said to me afterwards, wow, what, what was that? What's happening? And he said, he said, this is like a godsend moment. This is like God sent this moment and I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming either. He messaged me later. Uh, we have the opportunity to show people God. No one's seen God, but if they've seen you and me, maybe they have, maybe they can, and maybe they could. That challenges me. That compels me to approach my day differently. I don't want to believe in God just for a Sunday morning experience. You know, the plumb line idea that points to Jesus, I want that to be seen and I want that to flow from me because it's meant to. I read that in the New Testament. I want to see it now in my ordinary days when I turn up to meet someone and there's no one there. And I believe that's still possible. I believe it's meant to be normal. It's not meant to be extraordinary. So what do we see in this second part? That we have to intentionally choose 
love. And for some of us, we need to replace some other habits and tendencies to replace it with something better. And then this idea that no one's seen God, but if they see in you and me, they can, they could. And dare I say to you, they should. You represent Jesus. And then finally, towards the end of the passage in verse 15, it says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they live in God. And we know and rely on the love God has for us. This passage is saying, if you love God, if you invite Jesus into your life, if you recognize you've fallen short, he comes in. And that gives you this assurance, this confidence that can't be lost. In a world where we question everything, and we should, as the passage begins, question things, what they're now saying is you can be sure of this. If you love Jesus and invite Jesus in and recognize you've messed up, and we all have, then you can be sure of this, that the Spirit of God is in you and you are a new creation. People talk about this as the assurance of salvation. Let me tell you a story. This is a true story. In the early days of radio in Britain, George Bernard Shaw gave a talk about the peculiarities of the English language. In the, in the course of which, he mentioned that there are two words in English which begin with the sound sh, but are not spelt sh. One listener wrote in to say that this seemed untrue. There is only one word, and the word is sugar. I'm just going to pause while some of you are thinking. She received a postcard in reply on which there was one sentence. Are you sure? It's a fun story. But I want to pause for a moment in this idea of assurance and say, are you sure? To the people that are watching at home who have heard the stories of Jesus, you may have grown up singing them. You may have attended church sometimes. You may have some belief. Like the guy I met, you may have a family member who is sure, but you're, you're not sure. This is not, do you believe? Everyone believes. Jesus said even devils and demons believe. The question isn't, do you believe? The question is, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure that if today was your day where you took your last breath, are you sure that the next life begins in communion with Jesus? The, the assurance of faith isn't just the promise of a blessing in the next life. It is a promise of a blessing of knowing God in this life. And as this passage says, the Spirit fills us. But the question isn't, do you believe? The question is, are you sure? I want to pause partway through the message, near the end of the beginning, and ask that question, are you sure? And I want to pray for anyone that isn't sure. I'm going to put some words on a screen, which is a simple prayer. It's a response 
which basically says, I come to God aware that I am not perfect. And I want to invite Jesus in. And I'm going to put this on the screen now and I'm going to pray this. This is a prayer of response. Let's all close our eyes. Let's, this is a personal moment. This is not the end of the message. This is a personal moment. I want to pause in this. If you're not sure, if you recognize you've drifted, you've strayed, or you, you have some belief, but you don't know what you believe, or maybe you believe nothing at all, but the question that I'm asking, which is a very direct question, are you sure, triggers something in you that needs to change and needs to respond and pray this prayer. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for all the wrong things I have ever done. Change me. Let me never be the same. Thank you for dying for me. So that I can know you for myself. Help me to live for you. To the life that you have called me to. Thank you that I'm forgiven. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask a direct question. If you've prayed that today for the first time, or if you've prayed that because you've strayed from the path that you know that was God's best plan and best path for you, and it may be in recent days, weeks, months, or years, and you're praying this because you want to be sure, if you're in the room, just put your hand up. I want to see. Is there anyone who's saying, I want to be sure? And if you're watching online and you're saying, I want to be sure, just write that in the, in the comments. I want to be sure. Because Jesus gives us a gift that we don't have to doubt. We don't have to question. We don't have to wonder, am I good enough? Did I, did I let Jesus down? We all let Jesus down, but we can be sure that he loves us and that he forgives us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, he lives in them and they in us. And that makes up the church, a diverse, mixed blend of people who come together as his family, as his children, as sons and daughters of God. And it looks like us. It looks like you and me. And another analogy, another prop, another idea that my friends Kevin and Paul are going to explain. And for those of you in the room, you'll see it. And for those not in the room, we're going to send the camera and point at this pillar Paul's going to speak to us first and then Kevin. And it's a picture of the church. It's a picture of us. <laughs> okay, so this, this structural member, I'm an architect. This structural member is called a glue lamb. Um, back in, you know, before, before we had this kind of technology, we used um, large, heavy timber all from one tree. But 
we cut down all the forests. And so now we have, we have to make up structural members that can span large spaces with something called glue lambs. And what a glue lamb is, is a bunch of different, um, a bunch of different pieces of wood that all come from different trees. Um, they have different defects and they're pressed together into one shape. So when you come close and you look at these, they have different grains and they have different um, compositions. You'll see the knots are different because they're compensating for each other. And they're pressed together under intense pressure and then um, coated in a resin, a structural glue that keeps them strong. And it makes them stronger um, so that they can span larger distances than one piece of wood could. Paul's an architect, I'm a carpenter. So the, the, um, the critical part in working with wood, whenever you're joining wood together, and especially if it's a structural situation, um, the trick to it is you have to put the, the wood together and glue it together with the grain going in the opposite direction. And the reason for that is if you glue wood together in any form and the grain is all going in the same direction, it will all pull in that direction. It, there'll be no resistance to make it stay straight to remain plumb. It will all go in one direction. So it's important that you have to turn the grain. Every other piece of wood is going in the opposite direction and that keeps the structural integrity of the wood that you're joining together. It keeps it straight. It keeps it from steering off into its own path because again, if it's all like-minded, all the same grain, the same direction, it's all going to just curve one way. So by alternating these grains, different grains, different direction, it keeps it straight, it keeps a balance, it keeps everything in check, and it, it's the key to making any structural piece of wood or table or whatever you're building, keeping it straight and keeping it on the right path. Thank you. Feels a little bit like us. Well, we're different, but yet we're glued together. We're glued together by purpose, and we're glued together by person, and it's Jesus who brings us together. Now, the contrasting grains can cause friction, and I'm aware that there's been friction between people who voted one way and people who voted a different way. My request of you is not that you all become grain that all is the same, but the, the plumb line of Jesus brings us together. The purpose of Jesus, the, missed, the mission of Jesus, the message of Jesus. We need each other. It looks like this. And people see God in us and around us. I'm going to pray, and I want to pray for a few people. Let's close your eyes. For some, love is hard because your heart has become cold. And I don't say that to expose you or to make you feel bad, but it's just the way it's become. And it may be life situation and circumstance. And the offenses that you've experienced and the hurt that you have been dealt has been unfair and unreasonable. But the product of which is your heart has become cold and hard. And the idea of love seems a long way off. 
Father, for those people for which love is hard. Lord, I pray that today they would know you in a way that you are introduced, that God is love. May they receive the love of you today in a special way that melts their heart, that changes their words, that adjusts their orientation. Lord, may they receive love and may they know love today. There's a different group of people I want to pray for. Some of us have been distracted. We've listened and believed everything and we've put our hope in the wrong places. And the wrong people and the wrong ideas. Maybe we put our hope in our wealth, our power, our position, our politics. We'll put our hope in the wrong place. And the plumb line needs to point to Jesus as our orientation. I'm praying for this group. Lord, forgive us for the times we've been distracted and we put our hope in the wrong place, in the wrong people. We've spoken about other messages with more enthusiasm than we have the message of Jesus. Lord, forgive us. Help us to get a straight line that looks like Jesus, sounds like Jesus, smells like Jesus and points to Jesus. Lord, align us with Jesus, I pray. And then lastly, and this group of people is, is me. I'm in this group. I told the story of speaking to someone about Jesus in a unique place this week and praying for them, and it was remarkable. I've got to confess, I used to do that quite often. I've not done it as much recently. And I can say it's COVID, it's masks, it's social distancing. I come up with some really good reasons. But there's some of us that know that that's meant to happen all the time because you've been gifted with this ability that the Bible calls an evangelist. You find yourself in places where conversations are easy and often and the Spirit of God turns up in a powerful way. But for some of us, we've, we've been preoccupied or we've missed opportunities. And then we read this passage where it says, no one's seen God, but if they've seen you, they've seen God. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. Lord, give us eyes to see what you're seeing and to do what you're doing. Lord, for the evangelists in the room, in online, that have been distracted or have missed opportunities where people may have met us but yet failed to meet you, Lord, help us to see what you're seeing and to do what you're doing. Lord, may stories not be few but frequent because we cannot conceal the light that is in us that is meant to shine brightly for those around us to see. Lord, change us, I pray. Illuminate the message of Jesus through our lives in everyday places, I pray. Why don't we stand? And Lord, now I pray for all of us, your church, the grains of wood that are different to each other, but yet bonded together to point to Jesus. Fill us with your spirit, I pray so that we wouldn't just have a better Christian experience than before, but so that we would know you well. 
lead us. Shine on us. And Lord, bring change to the people and the places around us. We pray this in your name. Amen.